Indeed, O oh God, we have gathered to express that corporately we love you, that individually we love you, and we all unite to admit that we are sorry we love you so little. There are so many other things that have distracted us and, and that we have sought to fill the gaping vacuums in our lives. And there are so many things that we thought that we had to have or we'd never be happy. There was a career and there was a person, there was a child, there was a, there was a position. And all those things have crowded out. What is the source of pure, unmitigated joy? The God who made us and redeemed us in Christ Jesus. The only one who can satisfy us. Not a child, not a woman, not a man. Not a job, not an income. Only you, Heavenly Father. You can satisfy and in the face of our failings, you alone can also forgive. And so as men and women who know our, our shortcomings and failings and sin, we come to say, we love you, Lord. And we lift our voice. And what comes out, we hope, will be a sweet, sweet sound in your ears. We commit ourselves to that, asking for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to do so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you will, and open them with me to the book of Ephesians once again. And let me um, uh, direct your attention to Ephesians chapter 5. While you're finding that, I need to make an announcement, and uh, I uh, hope you'll listen up, because it's pretty big. It is, at least for me and Susie. Um, <clears throat> I think many of you know that uh, I um, whined and complained the, the whole way through the, um, the Look campaign, and uh, you have done such a marvelous job, and we're, we're on the cusp of finishing that thing up successfully, and, and that is such a joy. And this thing, of course, is finished, and I hope I never have to go through that again. Uh, but uh, ever since the uh, Look campaign, the elders have been after me to take some time off. And um, really, back then, I probably should have, but, uh, you know, it, it, it didn't uh, just couldn't be done. And, and, um, and now I, I, I feel like... And I, and I, I feel just marvelously in, uh, invigorated by all that's going on at Gracie Van. But uh, after our missions conference <clears throat> uh, on the 13th of October, you may remember that Ronnie Stevens preached here. And, and uh, I hope you enjoyed him as much as I did. But uh, four days later, after our missions conference, he called me. Let me back up just real quick. Um, uh, the, the elders have been after me to take somewhat of a sabbatical. And we knew that if I were going to take a sabbatical, it's going to have to be done out of town because I live a mile from the church, you know, and, and it's, uh, you wouldn't really be off at all. 
But anyway, so Ronnie called me on the Thursday after our missions conference, and um, I, I think you know Ronnie Stevens is the senior pastor at First Evan, and he is leaving First Evan to go to the mission field where, where his heart has been uh, all along. Uh, he's returning and, and going to head up a mission in uh, Hungary. And um, he called me on that Thursday and asked, he said, Jimmy, I need you to do something. And I said, okay, what's that? And he said, uh, I need you to fill a pulpit in Budapest of an English-speaking church. But here's the glincher, or the kicker, for 12 weeks. And um, there were several things that, that I felt uh, that went through me at, at the time of the request. And, and um, uh, it's been, gosh, two and a half weeks now, and uh, we've been wrestling with this thing for, for some time. And um, the elders have been wrestling with it. Uh, we've met together on a couple of occasions to try and figure out what was best to do, et cetera, and how to respond. And, 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 and the best summary I can come up with is really my wife's. If you know my wife, um, you know that she is not a traveler. Uh, Grenada, Mississippi is just a little bit too far away for her. And um, the very idea of Budapest, by the way, when they asked me about Budapest, I thought it was in Poland. It's in Hungary. <laughs> but anyway, and it's on the same latitude as Montreal. <laughs> That's not where I go to have a good time. Um, <clears throat> particularly in January. Um, but my wife, by no means, is eager to leave her home and the family that we adore and the, and the church that we love and, and the, the work that we're doing that we're, that so uh, um, consumes us uh, as the senior pastor aggressive in. But she said on Thursday night, um, the, uh, the contact from Budapest, Budapest had called again, and she said, I said, are you, uh, are you up for this? And she said, well, no, but I can't deny the providences of God and ignore them. And, sir, and, and I know you may have a thousand questions, and, and I've got a thousand questions, and, you know, we're, we're worried about how to plug in the hairdryer. Um, so, I mean, we've got a thousand questions, but all of that to say this, um, I'm going to do it. Uh, I, oh, gosh. Thank you. Well, that is exactly what I wanted to, what I was expecting. I, I, I appreciate your encouragement to really... Um, there's a lot of things that I want to see, that I want to do. Um, I, I, I do want to be better for Gracie Van. And I have told you that, that um, the two things that I want to leave behind as a legacy for our church is, number one, that we, are, that we point more of our resources away from us, and number two, that we have a climate of evangelism in this church. That's what I want to leave behind. And, and I feel like in some ways... Um, we're deficient, and, and we're deficient because I'm deficient. And uh, one of the things that I hope will happen is that God will give me a greater uh, vision for global, his global kingdom. And so um, it is, I guess, uh, a sabbatical. 
but I want you to know I'm looking forward to visiting our missionaries. I'm looking forward to some of the things that are happening in this church in Budapest. I will be preaching. <clears throat> I will be able to use my gifts. I'm hoping that uh, the end result will be a fuller and a deeper and a richer pastor for you. I, I, that's my dream. I can say this, those of you who um, think that perhaps you're getting rid of me, uh, you're not. Um, it, it's a long time. It's a long time for us. Um, and I uh, tried to negotiate downward. But um, the, my dream is to simply come back and spend the last years of my ministry, uh, which I hope will be several, um, doing the thing that I love, and that is ministering to you. But to do that, I think God has seen uh, the need to uh, kind of firm me up in some areas. So, January, the end of January to the 1st of April, I will be gone with my wife. Uh, I don't go anywhere without my wife. But uh, we'll be in Budapest, Hungary, and serving as a missionary in an English-speaking church. And um, hopefully um, to come back to... Um, more thrilling years of ministry among you. There you have it. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's begin reading at verse 22. And by the way, if you've got questions, you know, I don't have all the answers yet. This happened, that is, it was finalized last night. And so I don't have all the, questions, all the answers, but if you'd like to ask, I'll be I'll be glad to try and answer. Some of the things that are going on in this church are thrilling. For instance, they have seen uh, 10 Muslim conversions in the last 90 days. And I'm, um, I'm going to have to get ready to go address that challenge. I'm, and I'm looking forward to that. I think as most of you know, we've been spending our fall in a series on marriage. And uh, it, we have been interrupted four times. Uh, we only have three more today and two more to, to wind up this uh, this series on marriage. And for those of you who are not married, I understand it's not been the, the, the most pleasant things to sit to and listen to for, for seven weeks. It'll be seven weeks when we finish. Um, but understand this. Um, my, my, I'm convinced that if you're single, number one, some of the best information you can get is how to prepare yourself for perhaps a marriage if God sees fit in some uh, days in your in your future. If you're a high schooler or a college student, uh, again, the information, I hope, will equip you and will better prepare you to uh, enter this institution one day. If you're divorced, uh, I, um, I don't know whether you know this about me, but I spent six years of my ministry working with singles, and I have developed quite a heart for those who have gone through the, the tragedy of divorce. And, and I hope that you'll listen. Because the information, I think, will help you heal and will um, make you perhaps better prepared if God should allow uh, a future marriage. And then for the married, uh, surely you can see the relevance of the subject. Maybe your marriage is uh, just tip-top shape, and I hope it is. But hopefully what you're hearing is even going to take it to a greater, higher dimension of enjoyment and, and um, God-glorifying responses between the two of you. That's my hope, and uh, we've got today and two more Sundays, and then we'll get back to the book of Acts. You follow as I read, beginning at verse 22, in the classic section of Scripture uh, where God gives instructions to wives and husbands. Wives, 
Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, That endures forever. You know, gang, it is amazing how much a change of perspective can affect you. Just as a kind of a mundane example, you know, there was a day uh, not too long ago when many of us believed that eating uh, pasta was going to give us leaner and thinner and uh, healthier bodies. And then along comes a doctor by the name of Atkins, who, because of uh, his uh, research and uh, what he wrote, has turned the whole nutritional world uh, upside down and has virtually uh, put a uh, fast food pasta chain out of business. Uh, I've read huge articles about the debate that is now being waged between the camp that says the high-fat, low-carb diet is better versus the camp that says low-fat, high-carb diet is the best. And um, Dr. Atkins seems to be winning, but nothing is conclusive. I can only tell you that as a result of um, the paradigm shift, I can never again uh, look at spaghetti the same way. Rice uh, is no longer considered... Uh, my friend, because of uh, the paradigm shift that has taken place in the whole nutritional world. Well, gang, uh, I, I think you at least know the truth of what I'm, I'm saying. If I can change one's perspective, I can change their reality. I can make meaningful change in a life if I can simply affect their, their perspective, their, 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 uh, their paradigm. You might recall that two weeks ago when I was last in this pulpit, that I suggested that one of the recent books that that I read on marriage, which is this one, offered a paradigm shift, um, a a perspective change. Instead of uh, this author launching into uh, a a, a tiring list of how-tos, which is what you normally read in the, the, uh, the books that I've read on marriage, What this author did is posed a question. And the question is, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? That's the little subtitle right down here. Here's the title. Here's the author. And here's the little subtitle. And the whole book is about that question. What if? What if God designed marriage to make us holy more than he did to make us happy? And you might recall that two weeks ago what I did is try to convince you that we can eliminate the if. That is, it's not a suggestion, and what I try to do is prove to you, 
that it indeed is the mind of God. And I list five reasons. You might hopefully can go back and take a look at those. But this morning, I want to kind of add to that and um, give you three areas where, where a paradigm shift is going to change radically three areas which I think will make you holy as opposed to happy. Now, let, let me say something real quick. By no means, and I'm going to say this a couple of times, and I hope you'll listen. Uh, by no means am I saying that holiness and happiness are mutually exclusive. They're not combatants, ladies and gentlemen. Our problem is that we've made happiness the goal. Uh, if you've ever heard me do a marriage, I always call happiness the natural byproduct. Happiness is a byproduct, ladies and gentlemen. And it's not to be um, uh, anything to be ashamed of, the desire to be happy. But the route to it, I think uh, we've gotten off track. Because that which is the priority is not our happiness. It's our holiness. And the thing that God is interested in about us, ladies and gentlemen, is how much we resemble his son. Not how much we're enjoying our marriage. But here's the, here's the kicker, and I hope you understand what I'm saying. The more you are like Jesus Christ, the more you are going to enjoy your marriage. The more you're going to enjoy everything. And I'm not saying that you're going to be uh, deliriously happy and uh, no pro- I didn't say that. You remember this, the, the series I preached this summer about Job. But I am saying, ladies and gentlemen... That every time we function according to design, it leads to greater joy. And any time we function not according to design, we unleash forces of disintegration. And I'm telling you, our marriages have disintegrated so often because we have functioned outside of design. You know, I had a little couple in my office that I'm going to marry in January. I had my little couple in my office uh, on... um, on uh, Thursday and Friday, and, and we're doing this premarital counseling thing. And, I, and I've said this before, but to me, it's such a great illustration, and it's my own, and so I really want to share it again. But it's like folks have entered the, this wonderful institution of marriage, and they've been handed a 1,500-piece jigsaw puzzle. You know, all those little things that are so strangely shaped. And then one night, they poured it out on the table and said, okay, let's put it together. And, uh, but it got late, and they didn't get very far, and, and, uh, and they decided, we'll, we'll do it tomorrow night. And uh, during the night, the dog ate the box top. And so they come back to the table, and they say, what is it that we're supposed to be putting together here? They got all the pieces. There they sit. In-laws. Finances. Kids, job, housework, sex, all the pieces scattered on the table. And they don't have the slightest idea what it's supposed to look like. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here this morning to try and affect your perspective. And I'm convinced that if I can change your perspective, I can make meaningful change in your marriage. We can save some marriages. 
if we can change the perspective, if we can change the paradigm. And here it is, ladies and gentlemen. I'm, in, I'm here to tell you that the intent of God behind marriage was never to make you happy. It was to make you holy. I, I, for one, I think I proved that two weeks ago, but let me expand on that this morning, uh, hoping that it will um, that it'll help. You know, thanks to all the advances in medicine, um, we Americans are living a much longer life. We have an increased life expectancy, but for some of you, that's not very good news. Because the, 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 the statistic is that in 1911, uh, marriages, or the average length of marriage was 28 years. Uh, in 1967, and that was 40 years ago, uh, it has risen to 42 years, the average length of marriage. That means that uh, because we're living longer, our marriages are longer. Which means that married couples get the privilege of learning more of the spiritual discipline of perseverance, both physically and maritally. Now, gang, I wonder how many divorces have occurred too soon. That is, some crisis occurred, uh, money or health or, or just downright immaturity, that led a couple to discard the marriage, which if they had believed this paradigm, uh, then they would have held on to their marriages longer. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, that St. Jude Hospital here, that, that wonderful uh, hospital uh, doing work on pediatric oncology here in Memphis, St. Jude, has data uh, about what happens to the marriages of their clients. We had a friend in seminary who had a child who had leukemia and was uh, brought here. And, uh, and I, I think I'm, 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 I'm close. That's all I, can, I don't remember exactly. But what they were saying is 78% of the marriages failed after they went through a crisis at St. Jude's. Now, God forbid that you should ever have to go through a crisis like those people at St. Jude's. But the point I'm simply making is that because of some external circumstance, we gave up on the marriage too soon. Because we were thinking we were supposed to be happy when God says this thing was designed to make you holy. And I think that's what I just read you in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. Now, gang, um, we all know here, I think, listen, we all know that it is only those who persevere to the end that shall be saved. If you didn't know that. I invite you to check and take a look at Mark chapter 13, 13, Mark 13, 13, that says he who perseveres to the end shall be saved. Gang, if you give up on the faith tomorrow, it just means that you weren't proved to, you weren't saved today. It just proves that. So we know that perseverance is important for our souls. Well, gang, marriage becomes the practice field. It becomes a practice field for at least one brand of perseverance. Maybe you would prefer using this word. Commitment. They're not exact synonyms, but they're similar. Gang, that's my first point. One of the things that marriage does to make us holy 
is teach us about the gracious art of persevering. It teaches us about commitment. And it says to us, no. No, I can't give up on this thing too early. You know, part of our problem is that we live in sound bites. We live for the short term. We live, uh, if we can make it just to the weekend. You ever been in a gym at 5 o'clock on Friday nights? It's really a fun place to be, about 5 o'clock on Friday nights. Because they all play the same song. It's weekend. And everybody's just, they're, they're chipper and they're, and they're funner and they're all planning to have pizza and watch a movie. We're, we're, we're hanging on for the short term. And then, to have some other person show a little bit of interest in us, down over at the gym or in the office, while, while back at the ranch, everything is routine and, and vanilla, and all of a sudden, somebody showed a little interest in me. That can be an enormous temptation. And we end up trading in what is best for our souls, what is best for our children. And we dump a marriage because I'm infatuated with a bit of novelty. You know, adding a bit of spice to my life seems fairly harmless. When what we are supposed to be learning is the gracious art of persevering. Gang, marriage is about building a sacred history. Being persistent in doing good when the grass might look greener elsewhere. Perseverance is about self-denial. And self-denial is stuff that we affluent East Memphians don't know much about. We've learned the unholy art of breaking commitments. When one of the things that marriage gives us the opportunity to learn is how to keep them. When difficulties arise. Gang, can, can I take a tangent just for a moment? Because as I stand up here and I look out at this audience, it's hard for me to look at you. Because I know that there are some of you who are out there divorced. And I know that this is not easy for you to listen to. But um, some things can't be undone. I understand that. And, and uh, that's why... Gracie Van stands for the proclamation of grace and forgiveness, a fresh start, a new beginning. And at the risk of contradicting everything that I've been saying, sometimes divorce is the right choice. Tragically so. Um, sometimes divorce is forced upon you unilaterally. And the New Testament does provide a, a grounds um, for biblical divorce. And people who feel compelled to end their marriage are, are 
not dumped into some category of second-class Christian. Whereas their dreams of a happy marriage may have been dashed, their dreams for the possibility of a holy life need not be dashed. Now, gang, having said that, I want to return to my... I, I just want you to know that those of you who are seated here and divorced... I understand. I understand more than you think. I, I lived in, I mean, I've not been divorced, but I, I lived in a world of uh, rampant divorce for six years. And I saw what damage it brought. But I'm saying that a new perspective, this perspective, will hopefully add a newer and a deeper and a fuller and a richer sense of commitment or perseverance. Call it what you like. Because we, we, are, we are people who understand that what God is up to in our lives is that he is using iron, sharpening iron, to make us more into the image of his son. And that, ladies and gentlemen, needs to be celebrated. He's making us holy, not happy. Happiness, remember, is the byproduct of pursuing holiness. Here's my second way that marriage will make you holy. That's point number one. It teaches us more about commitment and perseverance. Number two, the person you decide to marry will eventually hurt you. And sometimes intentionally. Which means that forgiveness becomes a vital, spiritual, marital discipline. Gang, it's, 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 hard, to, it's hard to think that, oh, it, uh, that person will hurt me while we're in that uh, uh, pre-marital ritual called dating. Both parties are trying to put their best foot forward and dating uh, uh, in some ways, I think, is a, is a bad idea. In other ways, it's a great idea. But in some ways, it's a bad idea because it, it rarely leads to the kind of self or self-disclosure that marriage requires. Gang, again, having worked in the world of singles for six years, I've seen it more often than I can tell you where one spouse is absolutely shocked early on at what a difference the person is that I was dating and the person is that I married. I've had people call me after they got back from their honeymoons saying, Oh, what have I done? You can't imagine the number of people who were telling me about the, the serious problems that occur on the first night of their marriage. One party going down to the motel lobby and getting a second room. Well, that, that's not the way it was supposed to be, you know, was it? Gang, eventually, mark it down, your spouse is going to hurt you. I read one woman, her name is Helen Rowland. I don't know who she is, but she said this. When a girl marries, she exchanges the attentions of all other men 
for the inattention of just one. (laughs) You know, especially, guys, is that true when premarital sex has been allowed to enter the dating relationship. It only serves to deepen the deception. Women deceive men and men are glad to be deceived or vice versa. But whether that is the issue or not, ladies and gentlemen, marriage still produces sparks that will consume you unless forgiveness is a practiced marital skill. Gang, you are under biblical injunction. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. You didn't know it said that, didn't you? That what love is supposed to do is to pull the bed covers up over the sin. And we're supposed to cover it. And, and by the way, if that weren't difficult enough, have you heard this statement by Jesus? Ah, you know. He just says something like this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Did you get the deal? Pretty simple. You forgive people their trespasses, God forgive you. You don't, He won't. That's Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, if you'd like to look at it. Gang, the world, of flesh, and the devil will combine to give you numerous opportunities to forgive. And if we can't get beyond the inevitable offenses that will inevitably arise, it's kind of like plaque in our veins. You know what that stuff is, don't you? That's the stuff that gives us strokes and heart attacks and... And the more we, or the, the, the more offense that builds up in those marital veins of ours, the less that life-giving blood can flow through them. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, the lipitor of a good, healthy marriage is forgiveness. And that is a biblical discipline. More often it is, the more often it is exercised, the more like Christ we are. And in marriage, we get the chance to do it a lot, don't we? Let me tell you, my wife is a saint. <laughs> She's had more than her share of opportunities to exercise forgiveness. Finally, there's a third area that I think that what God is doing in terms of making us holy, we get opportunities galore in the, in the, con, in the context of marriage to learn about the proper use of our tongues. You know, I, I think there's a lot of men who don't realize the damage that they do because they simply remain silent. In marriage, communication is a duty. The, the tongue can be cruel in two ways. By speaking evil or by refraining from speaking good. Now, which spouse do you think is more guilty of number one, speaking evil. And which spouse do you think is more guilty of refraining from speaking good? Gang, there comes a time when silence is healing, but there is also a time when silence is malicious. It springs from indifference 
which signals an impending marital death. Communication forces us into somebody else's world, which means there's got to be the exercise of some selflessness. <laughs> you think that might be good? To exercise some selflessness? You know, guys, that's why communication is the key to intimacy. Because it means selflessness. So if you are in marriage and you consider yourself a poor communicator, I've got great news for you. The good news is you can learn how to do it better. All it requires is a person who's willing to be more selfless. And that would make you more like who? Guys, I, I know that for some, hearing what I've said doesn't exactly turn your crank this morning. Being told that, that marriage provides a Petri dish for the development of perseverance, forgiveness, and communication isn't exactly what you wanted to hear. You know, uh, uh, it almost sounds like I've turned it into one enormous grind. You would much rather me say something with a little bit of pizzazz to it, a little bit of, you know, um, zip to it. I'm sorry I've disappointed you, but I can tell you this. If Christ-likeness is of interest to you, then what you've heard should absolutely thrill you. May I say again, the only route to enjoyment, to happiness, to joy, is via Christ-likeness. And marriage is a great tool of our sanctification. You know, there, there's no question that marriage limits how much we can do. But marriage also multiplies what we can become. And the end result of that is our own happiness. You know, guys, listen, I'm, I'm almost finished. One of, one of Satan's most evil whispers is the simple whisper, things will never change. Well, I'm here to tell you that he's a liar. Things can change. And I want to suggest that the place to begin the change is right here with this paradigm shift. That the intent of God for my marriage was to make me like Christ, or more like Christ, not to make me giddy. And remind yourself that you willingly chose that man, that woman, to be your spouse. After much thought and much prayer, you asked her. And you said yes. At that time, your decision made perfect sense to you. It might not today. But what I have to offer you is hope. That it can be restored to that, that hope that you had for your future marriage. But it begins, 
I think, with changing our whole paradigm. Because the intent of this institution was to make you happy. If you thought that, much of the marital discord you're experiencing is the result. But no, no. Our God has bigger and much better intents in mind for his children. And what he did was bring us to create an institution and allow us the privilege of entering it. And in the midst of it, making us more like his son and in so doing, bringing us to the place of the greatest amount of enjoyment and pleasure and happiness and joy. It only comes, however, as we become more like his son. A paradigm shift. I pray, God, I pray God that it indeed will be so. Let's quit. Father, I, I do pray that you'll use what's been said to challenge your people to rethink what, um, what they've believed perhaps wrongly for so many years about marriage. And that you'll use this institution to turn us into people who know something about commitment, something about forgiveness, and something about godly communication. Father, there's far more we could say and I pray that your people will uh, use this stimulation to think more deeply and more fully about how marriage can make them more like Jesus. Father, for the couple that sits here today with a fair measure of discord and distance between them, where there is sourness, where there is the, the, the thought that perhaps it's time to dump this marriage, I pray that you'll use what's said to prompt them to move back to the place of a fresh beginning where they remember that the intent of marriage was to make us holy. And as it does, it makes us happy. Father, if you've led people here today who do not yet know Jesus Christ, might they be reminded that the only way that we'll ever be rightly reconciled to you and stand in your presence is through Christ Jesus the Lord. We pray in his name.